Kraken Fancast, presented by Silver City Brewery. The podcast for Seattle Kraken fans, by Seattle Kraken fans. Release the Kraken! Hi everyone and welcome to episode 18 of Kraken Fancast, brought to you by Silver City Brewery. I'm your host Chris Porter, I'll be joined momentarily by my colleagues Jim Cockrell and Nathan Gunderson for our regular Hockey Talk discussion. Uh, and then a little later on we'll have Chelios with a little farm report. Uh, Kraken Fancast releases episodes approximately every two weeks. On our program, we, of course, discuss all subject matter about the National Hockey League's newest team, the Seattle Kraken. Share news about the team, analyze their play, and go over various team-related news. We'll also, at times, present interviews with people involved with the team, as well as the fan community. Plus, we aim to go into some different subject matter you might not hear on other Kraken-related podcasts. We'd like to start off today by acknowledging our very kind and generous sponsors, particularly our presenting sponsor, Silver City Brewery, located in Bremerton, with their beer sold throughout the state of Washington and beyond. Beer for one, beer for all. Silver City is an all-inclusive Northwest craft beer adventure in every pint. Also, big thanks to the Angry Beaver, Seattle's number one hockey-themed bar located in the Greenwood neighborhood of Seattle. And also big thanks to Mojito, serving the best Latin American and Cuban food in the Seattle area. Check them out at MojitoSeattle.com. All right, guys. So what an up and down uh, uh, existence Kraken viewers have had <laughs> over the last few days since our, since our uh, last episode. Uh, the team overall has been really playing better. Uh, they've won four out of their last seven games, three of those wins at home. Uh, the Chicago game, which we talked about uh, in the previous episode, was a big overtime win for them, and that seemed to spur on some momentum, some confidence, some better play. Uh, three days later, they defeated the San Jose Sharks 3-2. to two. Then, admittedly, they had a real stinker of a game, a real awful stinker of a game against a very tough St. Louis Blues team. Five to nothing, they lost that one. Poor Joey Decord had to be the goalie in that one. And uh, in the words of Jordan Eberle, they let Joey out to dry in some of that game, and that was for sure. But, hey, as always the next day, fortunately, they came roaring back against the Florida Panthers. Florida Panthers of all teams, best record in the NHL then, and they still do. And the Kraken have beaten them twice, amazingly. Huge game there. Uh Came back uh, to Climate Pledge Arena and lost to uh, Nashville 4-2 to two after that. But decent game, but uh, Nashville really controlled that one more. Then they went on the road uh, after that long home stint. Went to Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh annihilated them earlier in the year, and Pittsburgh's a solid team. Had very low expectations for that one personally, and I think you guys did too. But uh, they beat Pittsburgh 2-1. to one. Really great game. Um, and... Uh, almost beat the New York Rangers uh, shortly after uh, they did lose it like in the final minute or so uh, they lost to the Rangers in New York by a score of three to two. So uh, Philip Grubauer has generally been looking like the group we've been expecting. Adam Larson and Jared McCann uh, are particularly notable players in that stint. In my mind, curious what you guys think. Um, Jim, let me start with you. What uh, what what impressions did you have over these last batch of games? Going back uh, to that ugly loss against St. Louis, you're right. That was horrible. I was at that game. It was not fun. They look like a minor league team playing out of the NHL. I mean, St. Louis. You said it to me on that game. They, like St. Louis just looked bigger. They were, uh, and my our partner, my partner, I was sitting with a trapper who you know, 
agreed. We just kept looking over at that bench every time they'd come over the boards, and they just looked big. Uh, and, you know, that, I've said it all season long. That's the one thing about the Kraken is we have a small group of forwards, and it's noticeable, you know. Anyway, from that point on, those four games that fall – or the last four games, basically, the team has been playing good hockey. There's no question about it. The That Florida game, some people said that was the best to date. Appleton had the game winner. And that was the game, though, we lost Su- Susie to injury on the IR, yeah. which was unfortunate. That sucked. Um, Susie was yeah. really looking great right, leading up to that. Yeah, but besides the the obvious goal scorers, guys that I noticed had a really good game, Winberg's been stepping it up. Appleton's been slicing into that top six nicely. And, uh, of course, Adam Larson, like you said, he's just been – it's funny because I was listening to uh, Root Sports pregame or uh, something, and John – uh, Forzen was talking got was getting interviewed about who's been the the quiet player on the team that surprised you and he came right out and he said Larson and I thought to myself hmm I hadn't been thinking like that and right after that I started keying in on him and wouldn't you know it he started playing some of his best hockey yet and standing out I um, want to underline a little bit about that interview that you met. it was with Cairo I, I think uh, radio and, okay yeah. um, and I, I I caught that interview too. And I one thing for selfish reasons I really loved. I mean I love listening to Forslund anyway. His, his insight is impeccable. But he he confirmed a lot of things. I think all three of us at various times have said it is about Grubauer. Uh, I I didn't know about that. I mean I've always thought Larson was solid, but I was I was intrigued when he said that. And obviously McCann, but he just was uh, confirming a lot of our feelings from past podcasts. I noticed. Yeah, it was it was a solid interview. But that game, you know. A full-on 60, good effort. We dominated. Um, the following game, I happened to be at, too, against the Preds. You know, they didn't play that bad. Um, there was a couple misfortune moves that, that cost some, you know, instant goals against. But uh, Larson, again, and McCann with the power play. And by the way, the power plays in this last four-game run is not doing that great. It's kind of fallen a couple points, a couple percentage points. That's something they need to work on. They, they're aware of it. One thing I'd like to point out about that Preds game, if it weren't for Soros standing on his head, that, that would have been a much closer game and maybe a win. That guy was was yeah. great that night. And there was also, we outshot him big time, and the Preds had 15 block shots. So you got to take that into consideration how much heat we were putting on, you know. Um, but I need to point out that dive by Nick Cousins from uh, Dunner's hand wash after that goal. Oh boy, I got livid on that one. I, I got no respect for diving, but that <laughs> that was the biggest dive I've ever and seen. And when in it my doesn't life. get caught, you know, come on. Yeah, bro. well, no, all actually, that, but not often. Yeah, but um, and then followed up by the you know other games. They've just last four games have been solid, and that New York game by by far the best best uh, effort in the loss. You know, Sir Deacon was. Oh, was, that game stung so bad though. Nathan, you and I were going back and forth about that. I mean, oh, I mean, yeah, they looked all right and everything. And it looked like they tied it up. And it's, I forget how many minutes were left, but very little. And then, oh, God, that just, because I'm like, I'm just tasting at least one point on that. Yeah, I, I remember I was, we had tied it up and I was so excited. I was jumping up and down a little bit, you know, kind of just really excited, you know. And before I could finish my celebration, boom, I think it was like 30, 40 seconds left and 
they nailed one. And I was like, damn it, you know, oh, we're so close. But man, they put it all out there. It was, it was, it was a good game. Um, that, that St. Louis game, that was rough. Um, but yeah, we, you know, looking at the schedule and looking at the wins and losses, you know, we, we played really good hockey all around, in my opinion. There were things that we've talked about and complained about that I think sharpened up a little bit. Uh, the forechecking has been really good. We've, we've been the first to the puck a lot um on dump offs and and things like that uh defense has been a little bit more solid hasn't hasn't been too many too many breakaways or uh odd man rush uh type plays one thing that i have noticed too is the passing still struggling a little bit they i don't i don't know exactly how to explain it other than just these no look passes i know sometimes you got to do them at the heat of the moment but you know, you're just, you're just, you're giving the puck away too much. I'd like to see I mean, that. You see kinda... the other teams doing that and oh, wow. it's like acrobatic and everything. And and we don't see, but it, it works, it for works them. but it works for yeah. them. Right. But you don't see that working quite as often for Seattle. No. Grubauer lately when he loses, he's losing playing solid goaltending hockey though. And I just, uh, I appreciate seeing that from him. Coming up, uh, you know, with full disclosure here, we uh, for all the listeners, you got two Boston Bruins fans here, and uh, this is coming up very soon. So actually, it'll it'll, it'll already happen by the time we release our podcast. But the night before uh, or the night after our recording here, they're playing in Boston. They make Seattle Kraken make their Boston debut. Uh, then they have a rescheduled Islanders game. On February 2. Then there's a long stint. So, you know, there are all these rescheduled games in February. So there's there are some longer breaks than usual. I, I, I don't mind that, but uh, maybe they could use that. But uh, there's like a seven-day break between the Islanders and the Arizona game. The Arizona game being a home uh, home game. The other two are throughout. But what do you think of that, Jim? Bruins fan here. I mean, what uh, Bruins are looking great, and they, you know, this year. Um, yeah, I don't know. They got to play the game. It's interesting how Seattle seems to pull it out on good teams. So I kept uh, my Bruins side of me is like thinking, oh, you know, this is no gimme. Are you putting me on the spot with that question then? Well, yeah. What 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 are the Kraken going to see against the Bruins? What kind of team is that? I mean, wh- who are the Bruins comparable to that they've already seen? Because this is their first time they're playing the Bruins. They're playing in the beginning of the of February and then toward the end of February, the Bruins come here. So they haven't seen this team at all yet. Okay, so the Bruins had a hot January they were playing their best hockey in the whole season to the point. Um, good goaltending. The RAS situation uh, went back down because he got injured, but that wasn't part of the equation for good hockey to begin with. Both tenders were playing well. They were, they were getting four lines of production, but they're starting to falter again shortly here in the last three games. I mean, it's a winnable game for the Kraken for sure. It's they're They're not as good on paper or as consistent as the Rangers or half those other teams that uh, we beat or played well against in the last two weeks. So it's a winnable game. Yeah, we'll um, see. I mean, as, as this uh, podcast is being released, it'll have already happened, but uh, yeah, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll report on that afterward. I mean, they got the Islanders like the very next day and then, a, then a God, they got to beat the Arizona Coyotes. This is ridiculous that they lost to them earlier. That is that. Well, you know, they got to win that one. Yeah. They got to win that. Uh, just cause that was, you remember that was the first game that got us on the dumps for the longest time. Yes. You know, that was it. That winning was that game. Of most of the game and then Arizona. Three nothing. Back and then, yeah. And then we started that just debacle of, you know, three weeks of 
hell and fans were uptight and <laughs> we've kind of turned the corner and we're playing really good hockey right now. So, and you know what, we should be able to beat the Islanders as well, even though they're playing better than they did at the start of the year. Yeah. So, they, they haven't been quite as strong as they were last no. year. Um, you know, they have, they've got uh three, six, nine, they've got 11 games in February. Originally it was only going to be three because of the Olympic break, which is not happening now, of course. So, uh, it's great that we see a lot of these uh, games that were postponed all happening, kind of spread out. Um, Anaheim, Toronto, Winnipeg, Calgary, Vancouver. Some potentially winnable games. I mean, if they play like they do on on these great games, again, it's like which Kraken yeah. team is going to show up from night to night? We never seem to know. I would say we have finished our toughest test, and now we're getting into our most reasonable, winnable games coming up here too. So Yeah, for sure. Now, it's interesting, we're still, uh, as of this broadcast, or this recording, rather, uh, Jaden Schwartz is still out, um, and Susie, as uh, Jim mentioned earlier. Um, but it kind of uh, segues into our message. I'm calling them messages. We call it, it said emails from the deep before. I'm changing the name a little bit to messages from the deep, because some of our questions we get through social media. And we got this one from Linda P. in Seattle. She asks, unlike other sports, NHL injury reports are often vague. They simply state upper body injury or lower body injury. Why are the hockey injury reports so vague? Why can't or won't they go into more detail? Before I toss that out to you guys, I was, I, I was curious because I've I've asked that because it seems, and I could be wrong, but it, maybe because I'm paying more attention the last two, three years, but it seems to be more vague now than it used to be. Uh, that's my impression. and. So I was kind of going down a little bit of the rabbit hole. And, you know, I mean, the fact is, unlike the NFL, the NHL doesn't require teams to issue an injury report. Uh, So injury information from NHL personnel is intentionally vague. Um, Players and teams both tend to want to get injured players back as quickly as possible. So sometimes they may not be quite as fully healed as they like. And to minimize players' recently healed injuries being targeted by opposing players, teams give vague descriptions of the lower body or upper body. That's that's the theory there. Uh, I, but I saw an interesting snippet that I never knew, but it, it, it intrigued me. This was actually a Washington Post article back in 2018. By the 1990s, NHL coach Pat Quinn, who's a very well, longtime coach and also an NHL player, and he was a lawyer in training, which I didn't know, but uh, he popularized, popularized the inscrutable upper body, lower body injury terms as a way to shade the truth and throw media off the scent. Quinn, who viewed hockey as a war and the reporters were spies, that sounds like Pat Quinn to me, I can see that, uh, he sought a way to uh, protect wounded players from being targeted. So is that, guys, is that something you've seen? Is that your your take on it too? Have you wondered about this? Is there anything else you could fill in on that? Yeah, I mean, I think privacy to the player first and foremost. Um, you know, detail, people, will they'll hear something, they'll run with it and they'll, you know, I, I believe that if you're a little bit more vague with it, it it it's more up for interpretation. Um, you know, you say, oh, what's wrong with him? That's oh, an arm injury. Oh, okay. And they move on. You start talking, well, he tore, you know, a muscle or he did this or he dislocated his elbow. Now you start getting into more specifics and, oh, that's, oh man, that's going to be 14 weeks. They don't want the focus to be on that. That's my opinion. I mean, I don't have an insight or he's got, source or he's got some ri- fractured ribs 
and you got some uh, enforcer or somebody on the other team wanting to check them right there. There's not going to be any targeting. Exactly. And, you know, leave it to the organization and the player when he comes back, not the media and everybody else deciding when he should come back. They're hockey players. I mean, you got to pump up the volume on these uh, on these uh, practices for them to come back and pump up the volume on on their diet and getting healthy and making sure that they're they're ready to go. They're not soccer players. So I'll leave you with that. I agree. The privacy thing is is definitely something going on, but it is the article from Quinn is interesting because it it is a noticeable difference in the last three, four years and reporting so much. So, you know, that there's, there's memes out there about it. I've even made some, um, but you know, I think the trend started three or four years ago during uh, playoff time, because, you know, if you're locked in a series early on and somebody gets injured, you don't want to let the other team know it's a street strategy thing. What's going on. Cause you build rosters around that and, and, and schemes. So it started there and it's just gotten bigger and bigger and Pat Quinn was onto it, but you're right. It's also privacy. There's no point in going beyond that, but it is when we look at our own rosters and go through the IR, we always want to know what's going on. Right. Um, I look at ours right now, there's six on it. You know, Tanov is the first and Schwartzy. Those are longer term. Alexak's been a mystery too, though. They, they, some of these started out as healthy scratches on paper, but turned into IRs. Alexiak was like that. Uh, Geeky was in a situation like this. And that's what I don't like is when they're a healthy scratch one or two games, and then all of a sudden it's an IR. That's what bothers me. Yeah, I agree. You got anything on uh, my man Schwartzy? I mean, Schwartz? I haven't heard a whole lot about him. Last, the Schwartz? last I heard, they, they, there was an estimate of sometime mid-February, but that was... Uh, yeah, well, it happened on 12-29, and its status is week to week, and I think it was four to six to begin with, so that would be right. Um, then they're usually spot on with that stuff, it seems. So we could see him here mid-Feb. Toronto, maybe. Hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then the others are all day-to-day. But Alexiak is still a mystery to me. That one is a mystery. Yeah, a lot of people are wondering about that one. That's that's gone on yeah. for a while. But uh, Yarncroc is fresh, and Kuhlman is fresh on the IR. Yep. Which well, may may they get back? I know we just got Kuhlman. Gee, have they gotten? <laughs> yeah. Which uh, I have another uh, little note here on Kuhlman, as a matter of fact, um, and it's tied to injuries, and it's also has to do with D coverage. So since we've developed these. Uh, injuries and such, we're obviously seeing more action out of Flurry, correct? Right. So I was taking some notes on Flurry, Borgen, and Lausanne in rotation. And, um, you know, fairly respectable numbers. And they're pulling Flurry at 16 minutes, Borgen at 14, and Lausanne at 17. We're talking plus one, minus one, plus one. So they're holding pace, which is not bad for fill-in. Now we've got a full-on brand new chemistry of a fourth line. And, you know, Chris, I'm a fourth line guy. Oh, as yeah. far as I love Good fourth hat. liners. Right now, as it sits, the fourth line is uh, uh, Blackwell, Kuhlman, and Sheehan. They're working. They're all natural centermen, uh, and they're going with Sheehan as, a, as the actual draw man because he is the best of the three. They're pulling on average 10, 9, and 11, and 12 minutes, depending on who it is. They're doing their job. Um, they're even or a plus two. 
they're doing exactly what a fourth line should do. And they're not minus their, their minutes are above a typical fourth line combo. So that's a good thing to see. And I know you've seen some things out of Blackwell you like. I mm -hmm. have too. Mm -hmm. um, you know, she she just kind of does his thing. He wins draws. He doesn't, and he's on the PK. So you're not going to really notice him that much. And we know what Kuhlman can do to an extent, but, you know, he just got injured. So it's going to take some time for him to learn the system on top of everything else still. Yeah, interesting to see. Yeah, got some great games coming up. Can't wait to see them. Before I go, we go to our next segment, I want to take a minute to tell you all about our Patreon page. Patreon is a membership platform that makes it easy for creators to get funding. Putting this podcast on takes a lot of time and finances for equipment and things like that. So sponsorship and Patreon funding helps us keep doing what we're doing. Patrons, it's a great way to join their favorite creators community, help with funding and get some perks along the way. You can go to patreon.com slash crackandfancast or crackandfancast.com slash patreon and make your way there. We have some great perks. We'd love to uh, hear from you on Patreon and, uh, and give you shouts out here. So we, uh, we thank you all for all of those who have uh, already contributed to Patreon. And uh, we thank you all very much for those who are considering. It's a big, big help to us and uh, we're most grateful. Okay, and before we get to Luke Chelios's farm report, uh, let's talk a little bit about a viewing party we're gonna have. We've had a couple already. Uh, they've been great, really great fun over at Silver City Brewery, but this time we're gonna be going to a place that's new to us and it's a big cracking bar called McNamara's Pub. Um, uh, in later in February, Nathan, can you tell us a little bit about our viewing party? Yeah, the uh, the viewing party, like you said, uh, Saturday, Saturday, February nineteenth, uh, six p.m. Uh, game against Calgary in Calgary should be good. Um, I'm excited to try this place, uh, McNamara's Pub at fifteen ninety five uh, Wilmington Drive in Dupont. Make sure you come hang out with us, check it out, buy some beers. Yeah, great Irish-inspired American eatery with eight TVs, huge projection screen, uh, over 20 beers on tap, great menu. This is, uh, this is the place to be. So we'd love to see you because we try to do these uh, viewing parties in different spots, not, not having it all at, uh, well, you also had one at Angry Beaver, of course, but uh, we, you know, we want to uh, move around the sound. The uh, Kraken fans are all over the region, and we're really excited uh, that McNamara's Pub will be uh, hosting us. So please come on down. Uh, most, if not all, of the crew uh, from Kraken Fancast will be there, and um, along with other friends. So uh, we'd love to see you, say hey, and uh, all of watch Seattle Kraken together. Let's get to some more hockey talk, and this is uh, this is important hockey talk. This is talking about our prospects, our farm report, our top prospects in the minor and junior leagues. Luke Chelios, Chelios Chatter. What have you got, Luke? Welcome to Loot Chelios on Chelios Farm Report. It's the end of January, January 31st. The month of January just flew by. Had a month of uh, a few hockey games here, lots of postponements, but a week in Oahu, North Shore, in Honolulu, sitting at the beach and reflecting on the Kraken's beginning first 41 games as well as their first draft so basically 18 year olds with another year or two and possibly a third overage year playing junior hockey in Canada 
or United States Junior Hockey like the USHL or the Chicago Steel have been a powerhouse, producing players like Owen Power and Mackie Samoskovich. Well, today we look at the draft picks from last summer's entry draft. Seattle Kraken's first ever entry draft. The draft is huge. It's a way a team can rebuild and a startup team like the Seattle Kraken, starting in year one, will build with these seven players. Round one, Seattle Kraken draft, Matty Beneers from Michigan. He's now off to the U.S. Olympics this week. One of the youngest players to ever play on the USA Olympic hockey team, just turning 19 years old in his second great year at Michigan, a powerhouse rated fourth overall in college hockey at this moment. Matty Beneers, 28 games, bringing it on, 16 goals, 20 assists, 36 points, a few penalty minutes, but the great detail on his game is a two-way 200-foot game like a Jonathan Taze or John Tavares. Very tough to draft one of these super two-way 200-foot centermen. And he's plus 25 at the Michigan Wolverines, one of the top teams in college hockey. And in his last seven games has recorded 14 points. A two-point-a-game player in college hockey. Almost unheard of. He's setting records Um, at Michigan with 28 games, 36 points, and then taking off to the U.S. Olympic team. Moving on to round two, a surprise pick. Yes, we still talk about this shocking round two pick. There were guys like Logan Stankoven, a big Sammy Halonius, six foot six forward with NHL bloodlines out of Florida. Even the young Russian captain superstar Nikita Chibrikov available. Well, Kraken jumped at a left-handed defenseman out of Regina, an overage player that possibly could have become a free agent in a year or two. Riker Evans at 20. 36 games, 6 goals, 31 assists, 37 points on a kind of average team with a superstar. The Kraken like him because he's able to play a high-tempo game with a future phenom. It's kind of like Darnell Nurse feeding the puck to Connor McDavid. Being able to play that high-speed, quick pass, quick-thinking game. And in junior hockey, I've heard a comparison to Phil Housley setting up T. Muslani in his record-breaking 76-goal rookie season in the NHL. A defenseman who can move the puck, make quick passes, and even rush to the net is a valuable asset running a power play in the NHL. So our second-round pick is looking solid. And I know our Chris Porter, our host, really is high on him out of training camp. Kind of has a soft spot for this kid out of Regina. The third guy is a guy that I am super high on. Chelios loves Ryan Winterton. Saw him play a couple of under-18 world hockey Holinka uh, championship games. Um, he outplayed guys like Connor Roulette and Logan Stankoven, who ended up being drafted lower. Ryan Winterton, 6'2", Closing in on 200-pound frame uh, comes from Whitby, Ontario, a place where Joe Newendike grew up playing lacrosse and hockey. He's kind of a similar type of build. He's a center right wing and currently is healthy again after a two-year shoulder uh, injury break that kept him out of junior hockey. He's only played 14 games in the last two years, but in his first six Ontario Hockey League games, 
Ryan Winterton. Remember this name. Winterton is bringing it in the wintertime up in Canada. Six games, four goals, nine assists, 13 points, more than two points a game. It is for six games this year with a new team, the Hamilton Bulldogs. He's also come in with a plus 11 rating in his first six OHL games. Note here, he's playing on a top line with Canadian Olympian, very similar to Matty Beneers, Mason McTavish, third overall draft pick, one pick after Matty Beneers went to Anaheim. Mason McTavish was playing in Europe last year, um, handled himself at 17, turning 18 with uh, European Division I hockey in Switzerland. He's played some NHL hockey, scores a big goal against the Winnipeg Jets in his first NHL hockey game. Well, Mason McTavish and Ryan Winterton have connected in the first few games together before he went off to the Olympics. So Winterton on his own scored five points in two games, so he's not relying on Mason McTavish to put that biscuit in the basket and our fourth round pick big six foot five and growing 200 plus pound defenseman from finland was a key player on the finnish world junior team scored a huge late game tying goal against canada off the wing uh he's a defenseman but can play some forward on power play as he showed in that pre-tournament game in finland 32 games four goals five assists nine points 57 penalty minutes, so he's a big, tough, aggressive, great skating, has a great shot, eye for the net, and likes to make those feed passes. Moving on, another sleeper in training camp, this was Jim Cockrell's of our podcast guy, Jacob Melanson from the East Coast. An East Coast boy playing in a Caddy Bay Thirst uh, to 10, the Quebec League, we call it the Q. He's a right winger. If you put a line together next year in training camp, it could be Melanson with Winterton and Beniers rounding out that top line of young draft picks. 28 games, 16 goals, 23 points for Melanson, 44 points, so he does get involved in the aggressive part of the game as well. And the other guy that we're going to focus in on is our Russian goalie, round five. Nobody had heard or knew of this kid. He's quite a story in the MHL, which is like Western Hockey League juniors in Russia. Semyon Vyazovoy. Keep that name in, in mind. Keep it close. 29 games in the MHL in Russia. 0.938 goals against average, which is stellar, sizzling numbers. And his goals against average at Topar UFA Russian team, 1.76. He's a left-handed catching goalie. Trained and practiced with Vasilevsky in the offseason, and he credits the last few years to coaching to Vasi's dad over in Russia. So, a very nice draft pick, a goalie coming along. A lot of these fourth, fifth, sixth round um, goalies, like Igor Shesterkin, probably going to win the Vezina this year with the New York Rangers, are really top quality goalies coming out of Russia. And Vyazovoy is a guy to watch develop into the KHL possibly at some junior and world tournaments. And uh, the hope is in his early 20s, like Shesterkin and Georgiev, a few years in Russia, great training, uh, some strength, and uh, practicing that NHL-type goal crease. He's got good size. He might end up coming into training camp in a couple of years to Seattle, and he is a goalie to watch for in the future. 
So rounding it out, some fantastic draft picks. This is the Farm Report by Lou Chelios. Remember, keep your stick in the air and celebrate those cracking goals. Thanks very much, Lou. Great report as always. Uh, and thanks uh, to you all for listening to our Kraken FanCast episode. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. Please keep that in mind. Um, and also, please keep in mind, if you haven't already done so, follow us, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Our Twitter handle is at CastKraken. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel, uh, which we uh, participate in from time to time. Uh, you can always catch Kraken FanCast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and our own website that we highly recommend you check out. It's KrakenFanCast.com. We'll be back uh, a little bit uh, later here in uh, coming February here. Now that we've got some games, I was afraid like, weeks ago we weren't going to have much to talk about in February, but we've got a lot of plenty of games, so lots happening. It's very exciting. So um, thanks very much for listening. Thanks very much to our producer, Jay Middleton. For Jim Cockrell, Nathan Gunderson, and Luke Chelios, we thank you very much for tuning in. And as always, we say, Go Go Kraken! Kraken!